This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're starting chapter 16. There are many self-help books out there that claim to have the answers for personal growth. Sadly, self-help is the clue that these authors don't understand what it takes to change the human heart. In today's passage, Jesus offers direct insight into what might hinder our growth. To begin with, we have to have a transformed heart. But even then, we need clear guidance to prevent the natural barriers to real spiritual growth. God's Word gives that guidance, if we'll simply pay attention. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's read verses 1 through 12, and then we will identify some of those hurdles and how to overcome them. It says this, The Pharisees and the Sadducees came up, and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven, but he replied to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it, except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to discuss this among themselves, saying, He said that because we did not bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. An interesting scene here. This passage features three attitudes of the human heart that I'm calling the hurdles of our spiritual life. And we're going to see how we can overcome them because they clearly frustrate Jesus. These are hurdles or spiritual barriers for you and for me to grow. They frustrate Jesus here and therefore will hinder our spiritual growth. We're going to call them three barriers to spiritual growth and we'll learn how to overcome them. The first one is this, according to verses 1 through 4, willful unbelief. Matthew places Jesus back in Jewish territory. You may remember that in chapter 15, he was in pagan land. And now that he's back in Jewish territory, Matthew records a tense interaction between the religious slash political parties here, the, the elite, the self-proclaimed elite of the time. Interestingly, they held opposite views. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were not best buddies. They were not pals. They were enemies. But they joined forces in order to oppose Christ, to undermine him. This is a classic example of enemies turned allies to join in a common cause here. Now, we have learned a lot about the Pharisees from what we've read so far in the Gospel of Matthew. For example, because they were religious separatists, 
They placed an unbalanced emphasis on outward expressions of faith and left the heart untouched. They were all about behavior compliance or behavior modification rather than heart transformation. And as a result, they received sharp rebukes from Christ all over the gospel here. Now, the Sadducees, this is what they're all about. Luke describes them in Acts 23, verse 8. He says this, The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. You see the difference between their beliefs here? This delegation, probably from the Sanhedrin, challenged Christ to prove his divinity once again, or at least to assure them that he did not operate by satanic power. Because you will remember in chapter 12, verse 24, they accused him of operating by the power of Beelzebul. But they failed to realize it because they said, here, we want to see a sign from heaven. Now think about the irony of that. They were looking at the face of the very sign from heaven, demanding a sign from heaven. That is willful unbelief. And Christ condemns their lack of biblical knowledge and declines to perform a sign on the man. He said, I'm not going to do magic tricks for you because if you will not believe because of the evidence you already have, nothing will cause you to believe. It only takes a miracle from God to transform your heart so that you will believe. So he indicts them for their willful unbelief. And before we even break down the technique from Jesus here, let's consider the tragedy of that. I said that this is irony, but in reality, it's, this is a tragedy of the human heart, the stubbornness of the human heart. Church, people refuse to acknowledge Christ, not because of a lack of evidence. People today refuse to come to Jesus Christ because of the hardness of their hearts, because God provided ample evidence about his existence, about his character and his love and his grace. Now listen to how Paul articulates that in the first chapter of Romans, verses 18 through 20. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So church, no one is excusable before God. No one can come to God and say, well, I didn't know you existed. I didn't know about your nature and your character because according to scripture says they are without excuse. It's a suppression of truth, willful unbelief. So Jesus answer to his opponents here highlights this suppression of truth. They had the ability. Again, another irony of the text here. They had the ability to discern weather patterns by looking at the sky. It required just a basic application of logic. You look at the sky and it's red. You say, well, fair weather is coming. How can you not apply that same logic to the spiritual realm? Well, the answer is because of an unwillingness to come to Jesus Christ, an unwillingness to acknowledge God. They might have been good weather reporters, but they were lousy theologians. And these were the self-proclaimed shepherds of Israel, leading the people in Israel during this time. So Matthew describes some of the signs that they missed. For example, they missed the angelic announcement to Joseph about the supernatural conception of Christ. And that announcement was recorded to us in Matthew 1, verses 22 through 23. And we're told that the conception of Christ took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So the question is, what more do you need? What other sign do you need than the Old Testament prophesying that the virgin shall bear a child and his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us? And by the way, that is a reference to Isaiah 7 verse 14, which reads like this. 
the Lord himself will give you a sign. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees had possession of that text with them, Isaiah 7, 14, and yet they missed it willfully. The gospel writer also applied the same technique to show them the fulfillment of prophecy concerning not only the virgin birth, but the birthplace of Christ. In Matthew 2, verse 6, for example, he paraphrased Micah 5, 2, like this, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So here's another sign that they missed. Likewise, Matthew also observes that Jesus' ministry to the Gentiles was also prophesied by quoting Isaiah 42, verse 1. And by the way, he is just coming out of pagan territory, ministering to non-Jews. And Jesus says, you are pathetic. He's addressing the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know how to discern physical things. But how can you miss this? You claim to know the Bible and you are missing the signs that are so clearly revealed to you. So after the comparison that Jesus makes in a rhetorical question in verses 2 to 3, saying, do you not know? He pronounces a condemnation now in the form of an affirmative sentence. They could not miss this one. It says, you will not believe. It's not because of a lack of knowledge. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. I mean, you don't get any more confrontational than that. He indicts them. This is what Jesus is telling them. You are an evil and adulterous generation. Now, the adultery charge here is because they committed spiritual unfaithfulness. They failed to recognize the bridegroom. But you say, Pastor, I don't know that they knew about this illustration or this analogy with the bridegroom. That's a fair question. Listen to how John the Baptist starts his ministry. Chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, verses 28 through 29. You yourselves of my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. So they were evil because they failed to recognize Christ as the Messiah, not because of a lack of information, but because of a lack of willingness in their hearts. They committed a spiritual adultery because they refused to acknowledge the bridegroom, which John the Baptist had already mentioned. So that particular generation who witnessed the work of Jesus and listened to his words had the indescribable privilege, consider this church, the indescribable honor and blessing to witness and to hear and to interact with Jesus Christ. And yet, many of them responded in rebellion, saying, you are not enough. I need something else. You are not enough. I need signs and wonders. I need something else to convince me. And the reality is, no, nothing would convince them when the heart is at that level of rebellion. So the opponents of Christ here had the worst case of spiritual myopia, just like many people do today. But here's how to overcome that spiritual barrier. Because again, if you refuse to acknowledge Jesus Christ and his nature and what he came here to do, you will not grow spiritually. In fact, until you acknowledge him, you remain dead in your trespasses and sins. That's, that's a huge barrier in order to get to the kingdom of heaven. You can't get to the kingdom of heaven unless you overcome that spiritual barrier, which you can only do by recognizing that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. If you refuse to acknowledge him as your savior, you are engaging in willful unbelief. So the people in your families, your friends, your co-workers who say, well, I have a different choice of religion. It's not really a choice. It's willful unbelief. It's an act of rebellion against God. It's purposeful disobedience. So if you're in the fence today about him, 
And only you can determine that. And don't let me tell you where you are in your spiritual walk. That's between you and the Lord. If you're in the fence today, don't allow your hard heart to create a barrier for spiritual growth. If you haven't jumped over this hurdle of understanding who Christ is and what he has done for you, I'm afraid you're outside of the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says the good news is that you can take care of that today because God has already given you a sign from heaven. His name is Jesus Christ. And the Bible provides sufficient evidence to reveal the Son of God. Here's a second barrier to overcome. We talk about willful unbelief, but the text here very clearly gives us the picture of wavering faith, another spiritual barrier for us to conquer. Wavering faith, verses 5 through 11. Now, we're in the second part of the scene, and the interaction now is between Jesus and the disciples. This takes place on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus warns them in figurative language about the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes. Again, he's using the imagery of leaven, which represents influence. We talked about that already in Matthew 13 in one of the parables of the kingdom. Leaven here in this particular case is representing their influence, their teaching. But incredibly... The followers of Christ here missed the analogy and thought that for some reason they were receiving a rebuke for forgetting to bring food. And church, consider this. They had just witnessed the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. In other words, Jesus just proved to them that he is divine. He has creative power. He created food out of nothing. He made fish appear out of nothing, already seasoned and ready to eat. And they're thinking, man, we're being rebuked here because we forgot bread. Or perhaps they were thinking that Jesus Christ was warning them not to eat bread baked by Pharisees and Sadducees, which would have been completely silly because Jesus already told them in Matthew 15, verse 11, it is not what enters the mouth that defiles a man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles the man. So in other words, even if Jesus is saying, well, I guess we're going to have to buy bread from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, no problem there. You can eat food baked by false teachers, no problem, as long as you don't buy their teaching. That is what he's saying here. But look at verse 8. Matthew reminds us of Jesus' omniscience. He already knows everything. Aware of this, meaning knowing all of these things because Jesus is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows what's in people's hearts before they articulate their thoughts. So knowing this, Jesus alerts them about their wobbly faith. He says, oh, men of little faith. We see his frustration with the Sadducees and Pharisees demanding for a sign. And here, his frustration again, man, have you just witnessed what I did? Couldn't I resupply food again if necessary? So everybody's thinking in physical terms here, and Jesus is trying to get the conversation to spiritual levels here. Now, the disciples obviously could have prevented the embarrassment if they had just remembered the nature and character of their Savior. In church, I'm afraid that just like them, Sometimes we tend to forget the nature and the character and the faithfulness and the compassion of our Savior. And as a result, we panic when we realize, okay, I don't have the resources to live my life. I don't have the resources to accomplish what God wants me to accomplish. So we panic. Why? Because we're thinking in physical terms, not in spiritual terms. And that is a barrier to our spiritual growth. Now, Jesus had already fed two different multitudes, one of the Gentiles and the other one with a multitude of Jews. Because he cares about his people. Because he cares even about people who are not Jews. And guess what, church? He cares about you and your physical sustenance. And he, he will take care of every one of your needs. So every time we question Jesus' ability to fulfill our needs, we're acting in wavering faith. And that is a barrier we need to overcome. Let's just be reminded of his power, his compassion, and his nature. Now, you can't be reminded if you're not reading your Bible. 
you only open your Bible on Sunday mornings, guess what? Something else is going to occupy your heart, whether it be whatever you watch on TV, whatever else you read. And then slowly you will drift away from getting to know your Savior. And when a need arises, your faith will waver. Why? Because it'll be hard to remember the faithfulness of Christ, that He cares about people and their needs. But thankfully, the Holy Spirit reminds us of the providence of God and the compassion of our Savior and His commitment to providing for us. Listen to this, in case you need to be reminded today. Psalm 37, verse 25, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. So the Bible says, my friend, you are righteous when you have come to faith. If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have received the righteousness of God imputed to you. And God will take care of your needs, not necessarily your wants. And by the way, if you're an American, you have different needs than everybody else from the world. If you grow up in a third world country like I did, you will have a completely different perspective on what a real need is. Matthew 6, verses 31 to 36. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? And what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek for all these things. For your heavenly Father knows what you need, all of these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, they should have remembered these words before they panicked that they didn't have bread. Now here's God's providence. Articulated by Paul, Philippians 4, verse 19. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So church, once again, you have plenty of evidence, not only about the character and nature of Christ, but of his promises to take care of you. So when you don't have the resources here, there's no reason to panic because you don't want to hear from Christ. Oh, you have little faith. You want to overcome that spiritual barrier and just rest assured that God will take care of you. So how do we overcome this? We need to know that his character will never change because God is immutable. Now, you and I need to change. We need to grow up in our faith. We need to mature. And that is why the Bible says he began a good work in us. And because he never changes, his love for you will never run out. His love for you will never grow cold. And he does not condition his care for you upon your performance. Thank God for that. His own nature compels him to continue to shower you with his kindness and love. So let's cling to that promise today and overcome that barrier of wavering faith. The amount of food that enters our body is not as important as the type of teaching we consume. That is the lesson here. So we trust him for our daily bread and we filter the influence that we hear from the outside because that is what Jesus is commanding his disciples to do. Beware of false teaching, which leads us to the third barrier here and we'll conclude with that. First bearer was willful unbelief. The second one was wavering faith. And the last one, third one here in this list is wrong doctrine. Verse 12, he says, beware of wrong doctrine. Beware of the teaching of these guys. Now, Matthew, along with his fellow disciples here, finally understood the analogy. They were to guard against the teaching of the self-proclaimed shepherds of Israel, which, by the way, God called hypocrites. These enemies turned allies here. The combined group that John the Baptist called you brood of vipers. So let's review the type of doctrine that this group was teaching people that Jesus says, no, no, don't pay any attention to them. Beware of that type of influence. Beware of that type of leaven. The word Pharisee comes from the Hebrew term parash, 
which means to separate or divide. You may think, well, does, isn't that what the word holy means? Yes, but in a different sense, because they were separatists, religious separatists, in a sense that I don't mix with sinners. That is why they were so shocked when Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors in Mark 2, verse 16, and all over the Gospels here. They were saying, we are the elite, we are the clean, you are the unclean, we don't mix with you. Now, centuries before this scene here, the Jews who returned from exile formed this sect, which is a religious slash political group, in order to seek respect and admiration from people. And therefore, they focused and obsessed really with ceremonial cleansing, the outside observance of rituals rather than heart transformation. Jesus already confronted them with this all over the gospel of Matthew here. So they were all about outwardly focused religion, observance of outward things like I don't do that or we don't go there. I don't dress a certain way. I don't eat certain foods all on the outside. And they left the heart unconverted. And as a result of their hypocrisy, Jesus determined that they had insufficient righteousness to make it to the kingdom of heaven. You will remember that in Matthew 5, verse 20. So Jesus says, beware of that kind of a thing. I am not interested in your religiosity. I'm interested in the heart. So that's one thing we need to avoid. Here's the other one from the Sadducees. They were the aristocracy of Jewish society of the time. They adopted this title, Sadducees, from the Hebrew word Tzadok. That is a proper name for Jewish males, which means righteous or upright. And the Bible describes their main error, as we've already seen here, denying the doctrine of bodily resurrection. They would say, after you die, then that's it. There is no resurrection. That is why Luke, for example, reports that they were greatly disturbed, the Sadducees were, because the disciples were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, Acts 4, verses 1 through 2, they were furious with the disciples because they were saying, wait a minute, there is no resurrection. So that is the body of doctrine that Jesus is saying. You need to avoid these things, doctrine and practice. You need to beware of this. Don't do that. If you want to honor Christ, here's another way. If you want to honor God, what you do is you don't pay any attention to that. So let's summarize here the two pillars of this body of doctrine and practice that Jesus is condemning and saying, don't do that. Don't follow that pattern. Beware of that. Number one, a misunderstanding of divine grace caused by an incorrect view of God's law because of all of the outside observances of the law. Second pillar, a low view of God's word caused by an elevated view of man's goodness. So what Jesus is telling his disciples here to avoid are those two evil pillars because he calls them an evil and adulterous generation. In other words, church, avoid legalism, avoid liberalism, and avoid hypocrisy. That is what Jesus is telling them here. We need to avoid these things, and we are tempted to follow these because nobody else knows what's in my heart other than God, so I can come here on Sunday mornings and pretend, but Jesus says, I'm interested in what's in your heart. So sadly, the Pharisaical and Sadduceum system has endured through the centuries, and today they exist. They have been repackaged for modern consumption. And they keep people from growing spiritually because they lead to a false belief system. They represent the wide gate and the broad way that leads to destruction, to quote Jesus from Matthew 7, verse 13. So church, the lesson for us is that Jesus wants us to overcome this barrier here called false doctrine or wrong doctrine. How do we accomplish that? 
You read your Bible. You know what true doctrine is so that you will be able to filter and recognize when they come your way. And obviously, don't misunderstand divine grace. You cannot earn God's favor any more than you already have God's favor because God loves you unconditionally, not because of what you can do, but because of who you are. You are a sinner, but you are made in the image of God. And if you are not yet in Christ, you need to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and receive God's saving love. Now, you cannot earn favor with God, and you need to have a correct view of God's law here. The purpose of God's law, and Jesus describes that so clearly, is to let you know you fall short. When you read the Ten Commandments, for example, and you'll say, wait a minute, I blew it already in the first one. Because Jesus says, if you hate your brother, you already committed murder in your heart. If you looked at a woman or a man with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery in the heart. So none of us really measure up. So the purpose of the law is to show us how bad we need a Savior. And a low view of God's Word, that's the other pillar we need to address here in this wrong body of doctrine. Church, this book here doesn't merely contain God's Word. This book is God's Word. And when you diminish God's Word and you elevate men's tradition over that, you are committing Sadduceeism. And Jesus says, beware of that. True conversion focuses on heart transformation. Behavior modification follows. If you really want to overcome those barriers and run the race, like Paul says, run the race appropriately, you overcome these things. Don't run through them because you're going to cause problems. Don't just ignore them. Address them, biblically speaking. And by God's enabling power, we can and we will overcome these barriers to our spiritual growth. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast has provided you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth With Grace.